Easter. Our world has been disrupted, but it didn't disrupt Easter. Jesus is still alive. He's here with us, and he's wanting to make every one of us aware of his great presence. I was looking at uh, this whole series of events that have brought us to Easter this year. A lot of challenges, a lot of unusual circumstances. So much is up in the air. So many people are questioning how long does this thing last? Where is it going to end? Uh, I've never seen so many masked people in my life. It's amazing. We're all covering up and isolating and uh, it's interesting. The, the walk that we take is from our living room to our deck. It's, it's, a, it's a most unusual time of the year and actually a time for our whole world. If there was ever a day that we need a powerful God, it's today, this day, right now. Uncertainty, fear, isolation, financial insecurity, and all of that added to personal insecurity, shame, guilt, dread of what's ahead. All of those things create a great deal of uncertainty and, quite frankly, a lot of fear. Perhaps those fears were the same for Mary and Martha many years ago, two millennium ago, just days before the crucifixion burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Lazarus has died, their brother, who was really the one that took care of the needs that they had. He was their sole provider, if you will, and he's dead. And what do you do? Jesus comes to them and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, those are wonderful words. They're hopeful words, but they're empty words because Lazarus is still in the grave. Pain, their loss, was raw, was real. In just a few moments, though, Lazarus would come out of that grave alive, resurrected, if you will. And those words would take on an entirely different meaning. I am the resurrection and the life. I have faith in Jesus. I have never seen him. I've never heard him. I've never been able to touch him. But I believe in him. I believe that he's real because I've experienced the life transformation that he's brought into my own life. I've experienced the touch of God in my own life. I've experienced his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his peace. Well, Pastor, why do you have that kind of confidence? I want to share with you this morning an Easter message that's different. But then this is a different Easter. It's a different set of ground rules, if you were, that bring us together today. But as I've been pondering and thinking about Easter and thinking about what is it that's so powerful about this day, there are several things that come to my mind. One, though, is a word. And it's a word that as I've been studying and praying and just pondering what what is this day about? There's a passage that came to my mind, and there is a word and a word structure that challenged me. Again, it's a bit different, but then this is a different Easter. You see, in the original language, it was Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and for those of us here, English, in our translation, that's our heart language. 
Hebrew gave us the Old Testament, Greek the New Testament, and it's a derivative, uh, Latin comes as a derivative of the Greek language, and English is a derivative of Latin, and there's one word that is unique and the same in every one of those languages. It's the word, amen. Amen. What does that mean to you? We've heard the translation or the that definition of that meaning, so be it, and, and that's okay, but it's not the literal translation of that word. And that word speaks volumes to me about Easter. When you think of Paul's writings, he says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Well, what does this mean? All the promises of God are in him, amen. What does that mean? How do I interpret that? And what in the world does that have to do with Easter. Well, let me share with you a few thoughts and bring this to that point of answering that question. And to be able to understand it and answer the question, we need to look at both Old and New Testament and what amen meant in both so that it can take us to this moment of Easter, this great day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The word amen is used 183 times in the Bible, 30 of those in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that 12 of those 30s are used in one passage of Scripture. And to me, that, that was a unique setting. What was that setting? It was the setting where God chose to take the children of Israel in a valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and he would take the Levites, the priests, if you were, and he'd place half on one mountain, half on the other. And he gave a description. He gave an amazing statement to them. He would tell them about the blessings and the curses, the blessings that would come as we open our heart to God and the curses that are a result of our, our failure, our lack of obedience to him. And it's interesting that when he did that, he told them when to say amen. It's interesting to me that... <laughs> where he told them to say amen wouldn't be the particular place that I would. I would say amen after the blessings, but that's not what God said. I want you to say amen after the curses. What would in the world, why would you want to do that? Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 27, and just a couple thoughts here, just a couple of these verses. It says, and the Levite shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And verse 16, Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Why did he tell them to do that? Why did he tell them to say amen after the curses? Well, let's take a practical look at it. Amen is an affirmation. And it's easy to agree with a blessing. But it's not easy to agree with those things that God has said are wrong, that are prohibited, that hurt us. Remember, a curse is the consequence of disobedience. If you've been reading through the Bible with us, you found it most challenging when you see some of the judgment moments in the Old Testament. 
And sometimes we don't understand those judgment moments, but those judgment moments come as the result of disobedience. Curse was brought upon the individual, not because of God doing it, but because of their disobedience bringing the consequence upon them. Death is always a consequence of disobedience. Not always in the physical, but relationships, trust, integrity, peace, hope, all of those things, all of those things are lost because of disobedience. God didn't leave us clueless to the consequences. I, I remember when my children were small and we would have to deal with them or correct them. And I remember getting down close to where they were, looking them in the eye and, and sharing with them, look at me. Look at me. I had to get their attention. Look at me. And then I would share with them that these things aren't going to happen. You're not going to enjoy this. <laughs> Sometimes it was most entertaining. Uh, sometimes it was challenging. If you continue to do that, I'm going to have to give you a spanking. Do you understand? If you continue to do this, I'm going to have to give you a spanking. Do you really understand? And I remember my son finally one time says, no, Daddy, I don't understand. Well, he did figure it out. Why did we do that? It didn't. It wasn't something we wanted to do. We don't want to hurt our children. We don't want to correct them in that way. We don't certainly want to spank them. But disobedience brings on its own consequences. This passage in book of Isaiah really brought it to light to me about this amen concept. Isaiah 65, 16 says, So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of amen. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of amen. And I look at that passage and saying, well, what does that mean? How, does that, how do I comprehend that? Amen is literally translated truth. God is the God of amen. God is the God of truth. God never told us a lie. He never failed to keep a promise. He is never going to fail to keep a promise. So that when God says, I am the God, amen, I am God of amen, he's saying, I am a God of absolute truth. The word amen means truth. In the New Testament, we see it again. There's 153 times it's used in the New Testament. Two-thirds of those times, Jesus used that term. And it's interesting that out of the 27 books of the New Testament, 24 of those books end with amen. We don't recognize it because it's the way it's constructed in it, but it is the statement of amen. Jesus moves those words around a little bit. Most of the Old Testament, the ending would be amen. But Jesus moves it to the beginning of the sentence. In fact, in the book of John, he uses that 25 or 50 times in 25 verses. 50 times. He doubles it up. Well, I've never read amen, amen. Well, you may not. But in the old King James, it comes out verily, verily. Or truly, truly, I say unto you. The word is amen. It's God saying, I can be trusted. I am telling you the truth. 
For example, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying, Amen, amen, unless you believe. It's truth. What he's saying, it's truth, truth. He's saying it. He's doubling it up. He's emphasizing it. And why did he say it that way? Well, Jesus gives us a description of why he says it that way. He says, my father is saying true, and I'm agreeing with my father. Jesus said, I only speak the, the, what the father speaks. I don't say it unless the father has said it. So if the father says it's true, I'm agreeing with him. So verily, verily, truth, truth, I say unto you. What my father speaks in heaven is truth. Because I'm here right now and I speak to you on earth is truth. And the Spirit confirms the words of truth with signs following. I love that. I began to look at that again. It's a powerful thing behind that whole concept. The Father wills it, the Son speaks it, and the Spirit works it. If you will agree with the Father's will for your life and the Son's words for your life, the Holy Spirit will work out His will into your life. It brings me to, commun- to this whole concept of, of, of Easter. Of all the, the, the setups for me, it's this passage in Revelation chapter 1. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Listen to this. I am he who lives and was dead. That's the Easter message. He's alive. He's not dead. He was dead, but he's now alive. I've had people say, well, he was resuscitated. No, he wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. A soldier took a spear, ran it through his side, through his lung, and into his heart. You don't resuscitate that. You resurrect that, and that's exactly what happened. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from death to life, friends, he dwells in us. The same Holy Spirit. He had that spear thrust through his side. He was dead, but he came alive. You know, I look back at those early disciples, and I've had a question for many years. What was it that gave them such courage and such fearlessness that they could defy Rome and even the religious leaders of their day to follow Jesus and to proclaim him? What was it? They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have that. But what they had was they had the personal revelation of a resurrected Jesus. They had the personal understanding that he was alive. They saw him. They felt his hands. They touched him. They broke bread with him. They, they, they listened to him after resurrection. They experienced resurrection life. Jesus told them four times, I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I will raise again. They were there when he was crucified. They were there when he died, and they were there when he was placed in a tomb. They didn't come back to the tomb on the third day and give a countdown. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. 
They, they didn't give the, the cue for the sun to rise and the angel to roll the stone away. They didn't do that because they saw him die and he was dead. Even though Jesus said, I will rise again, they saw the impact of the horrible brutality and the beating. They saw the spear thrust into his side. They saw the, him impaled on that cross. And they saw his limp, lifeless body be put into a grave. I don't think any of us would have had any greater hope than they had that day. As a matter of fact, when the women came that morning to prepare his body for embalming, they brought 100 pounds of spices. You don't embalm a live body. You don't embalm resurrection. But you see, in their heart, in their mind, life was devastated. It was overwhelmed. They didn't know what to do. Like so many today, with all that's going on, it's fearful. It's anxious. What do we do? When is this going to be over? Is this, are we ever going to have normality again? I think of a song by Larnell Harris and Sandy Patty many years ago. And, and there's one phrase that, that just grabs me. It says, I've just seen Jesus, and I'll never be the same again. When resurrection life happened, and Jesus rose from death to life, and those disciples witnessed that and saw that, that's all they needed. Because, you see, it was validating everything Jesus told them. I will be crucified. I will be in the grave three days, and I will be resurrected. He did come back from the dead. They did touch his hands. They did hear his voice again. They were able to eat a meal with him. They experienced life with him. For 40 days they saw him. He was dead, but he was alive. He came back just as he said he would. Why? Because he is the God of amen, the God of truth. There are many that believe that Jesus, believe in Jesus, but they still have never yet yielded control of their life. There are many of us that try to run our own life. We'll never fully understand and grasp the power of resurrection. You will never have eternal life by running your own life. Eternal life is given to those that give him control of their life. It's an act of faith. Remember, believing is not enough. Even the devil believes. So belief isn't enough. It's when I yield control of my life to him. It's only when I give him that life, my life, that I'll have his eternal life. Will we sin? Will we fail? Of course. Just like Peter in the garden. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We fight that, we will fight that until Jesus takes us home. But we have eternal life through him, not because of what we do. If we add one thing of human effort toward the things of eternity, grace then is no longer grace. Grace is a gift. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. All I can do is receive it. I receive it because I come to a place where I can trust him. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. I believe that. 
So when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, I have no doubt of that. I don't question the reliability of that for the simple fact that he fulfilled his promise. I will be crucified, I will be buried, and I will be raised from death to life. And he was. You can trust him. You can trust him in everything in your life. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. It, it, it's different. I would love to be able to celebrate it with all of you here with me at one time. But we can celebrate it together. And it's going to be, it would rather be comical, I would imagine, to see what some of these elements look like this morning. They may not always be grape juice and and, and bread, it could be your favorite whatever beverage. It could be cookies and milk. It might be bread and water. I don't know what it is. It isn't the element. It's what's behind it that's sacred. Jesus, that night before he was, when he was betrayed, the Bible says that he took the bread. He took bread that was a simple piece of matzah, unleavened bread, and he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he was reminding them of the promise that he was going to keep in a few days, in just hours, in fact, I'm going to be crucified. In moments, I'm going to die. In moments, they're going to bury me, but I'm coming back to life. I'm coming back because I came here to do one thing, to fulfill all the need that the Father had for my life and for your life. I came here to fulfill his blessing on you for forgiveness and mercy, to take on my shoulders all of your sin into my own life, into my own body. And that's exactly what he did. Isaiah says it so well in Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, he was broken in his body. This little piece of bread simply represents the statement that Jesus Christ, God the Son allowed himself to be bruised, marred, and broken that we could find healing in our lives. And if there's ever a day when we need healing with all of the stuff going on, we need the healing power of Jesus Christ over all of our lives. So, Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful symbol of a body broken and a promise kept. You rose again. And you've indeed called us children of resurrection. And you've imparted to us these incredible gifts, this gift of your body broken, that we might find our broken bodies whole. Bring healing to those that are watching this morning. I pray that you would bring strength, vitality, healing, resurrected life, if you will, into each one. And as we receive this little piece of bread. May we receive it with gladness and with thanksgiving as we receive this today in Jesus' name. Receive with me today.
The Bible says that he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new contract. It's a new relationship that I'm going to have with you. This cup represents that new promise I have with you. A promise of eternity and a promise of mercy and forgiveness. A promise of grace. A promise of a life with dignity and purity as we open our hearts to him. So, Father, we thank you for this cup, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, that justice would be fulfilled, that we would be reconciled with God, that we would come back into full relationship with the one that created us, all through the blood of Jesus. Bless this gift. Bless this cup. And I pray, Father, that you would touch each heart and each life today. As we receive this together, we receive it with gladness because it is the living proof of a Savior that lives and lives among us. Receive it today. Well, my friend, maybe this morning, maybe you've heard these words and you understand that this is a season where we speak about the resurrection of Jesus. But perhaps you would say, I'm not sure about my own eternity. I'm not sure about my eternal life. This morning, I want to assure you that Jesus Christ came for you. And if we would just confess him as our Lord and our Savior, that's simple. Believe in your heart. Trust him. Somebody says, well, I, I have a hard time giving control. Friends, you need to give him control. How's it gone so far? And if your life seems to be out of control and there's no, no hope and there's no peace, what do you have to lose? Trust him. Receive him. Invite him. Let him become your Lord, your Savior, your resurrected King. Your amen, because he is the truth. Pray this simple prayer with me today. Father, I need you. And on this Easter morning, when the world is in such turmoil and confusion, and everything is so disrupted, I seek your peace. I seek your help. And I call on you today. Would you bring that peace to me? Would you bring mercy and forgiveness to me? I confess you as my Savior. I invite you into my life. I ask you to help me today. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins and, and heal me of those scars of my failures. Be my Lord and my Savior. Guide me today. I need you. I receive you. Accept me as your child. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that commitment today or you have questions, please feel free to call us. Get on our website at florencecrossroadag.org. Leave a message. Let us know. Maybe in, in, the, in, in the 
line right there beside you as you're watching this on Facebook. You can put a comment in it. We want to get back with you. We want to pray with you. We want you to know how much you're loved and how much you're appreciated. And now I want you to join me as we speak God's blessing over each of you today. Father, I speak your blessing. I pray your blessing. I ask your blessing over all that would be listening. That, Father, you will bless them and you will keep them. That you will make your very presence known in a very special way to them. That your peace will cover their fears. That your delight and your joy will take away their sorrow and anxiousness. That your strength and power will overcome their fear and anxiety. That, Father, you will bless them and keep them and be merciful to them and grant them your peace in Jesus' name. May God bless you. Thank you for joining us. He is risen indeed, and he is our great amen. <laughs>